Well, I want to draw your attention this morning to First uh, Peter chapter 4. As you turn there, uh, we have been, so we concluded over the summer, a series at the end of summer, a series we were in uh, called uh, Get Real and talking about our faith in Jesus and looking at the book of James, his desire is that our faith becomes very active, that it's transforming in our life. And throughout this month, we're not necessarily launching a new series. We will be launching a new series in October. And just to share with you a little bit about it, the series in October will carry us right up until the Christmas season. We're calling it Rise Above. And using the life of David and just looking at some key events, it's not going to be an exhaustive study of the life of David, but looking at the life of David, he had several kind of life-defining events that happened. And looking at how he chose to rise above those situations and rise above those things rather than letting them become lids on his life and things that really became barriers that would hold him back. And so we want to look at that, and really I believe that there's a lot that you and I can glean from in that. Uh, when you look at his life, there's situations and things that have, of just past decisions, uh, facing giants in his life, uh, uh, really dealing with, with the fallout of broken relationships, all sorts of things like that, and looking at how we can find those pieces and find application in our own lives. So we'll be looking at that starting in October. Um, but this morning, I want to take time to look at First Peter chapter 4 and talk with you a little bit about uh, why the ministry and, and the things that happen here. This morning is a very special Sunday in the life of State College Assembly. You may have already seen when you walked in different tables around the back of the room. And if you've joined State College Assembly since last uh, fall, you may not be aware of the different things that take place in the fall season. But during our fall season, not only this morning will you have the opportunity to be aware of it and become a part of the different ministries that are taking place throughout the building, both today and throughout the week and on Wednesday nights and different events. Uh, but we also move into a time where we have a number of seasonal outreaches to engage our community. I really believe that God has strategically placed us in the community with Penn State in our backyard. And so we want to be actively involved in engaging our community and everyone who comes to our community. And so we, will, we launch, there's an event called Trunk or Treat. Uh, we have several hundred people from our community come on the grounds during the week of Halloween uh, for one night and just a very active way to engage our community. Uh, we also put together, we have care packages for the Thanksgiving season that we send out into homes. And this year we have... I believe it's 90 or over 90 care packages that are going into homes in our community to provide a Thanksgiving meal to families. And we have our deacons are very much involved in that. Uh, we do a Christmas benevolence outreach and engage in finding ways to, uh, very in practical ways, come alongside families who are struggling in our community uh, and, and just engage in that. And so there's a lot of ways and a lot of things, and I'm not even covering everything, but a lot of ways to get involved and to engage in our community. And so we're going to end service today by giving you a chance to get involved in some of these ministries. And what I want to kind of plant the idea now, and you'll probably hear me say it again later, but find at least two ways to get involved. One, find a way to get involved in a regular basis, serving in, in one of the ministries that are a part of State College Assembly, uh, whether it be in the front door ministries, in the children's, in the kids' ministries, uh, in, in a number of different ways, in, in the, the worship and media ministries, a lot of different avenues to get involved. Find a way to get involved regularly serving and using what God has placed in you. And then the second way I would encourage you to get involved is to find a way to jump in and be involved in one of the seasonal outreaches. So getting involved in at least one seasonal outreach and one regular one regular way of serving is, I really believe, a great investment of the things that God has placed in you. When we look in 1 Peter chapter 4, one of the key topics that, that Peter writes of and writes about is he's preparing believers about living in the end times. Now, there's a show that I don't even know if it's still on. 
Um, I remember seeing little clips and things of it, but it was called, I think it was called Doomsday Preppers. Does anybody watch that or is that still on? Doomsday Preppers. And, and the whole, the name of this show kind of reveals what it's about, but it's, it's people who believe the end of the world is coming, whether it be in zombie apocalypse or whether it be in some sort of nuclear disaster. And so they have begun to stockpile all sorts of supplies and reserves. Some of them buy, buy out underground ground bunkers and create their own kind of ecosystem and everything underground, but they try to find this way of being self-sustaining and building up a massive supply of things. I remember when Y2K was the big thing, and there was this great concern about Y2K and, and all that could possibly happen with that. We had uh, one relative who really went all in on being ready and felt like the world was going to melt down as soon as the clock clicked to 2000, to the year 2000. And so they converted a number of things in their family. They, they went and they stockpiled all sorts of goods. And as far as I know, they're still eating canned tuna um, from however many years ago. But it's just this whole idea of just kind of being ready for end times. And the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about this, but not so much in doomsday preppers and how you can get your house ready and how you can get uh, your supplies ready. Instead, he's giving believers encouraging encouragement and advice on how to prepare their hearts and their mindset for the end times, recognizing they were already living in the end times and that we are really living in the end times. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, what that looks like. And so really, his, both of his letters are exa- cover a lot more than we're able to cover today. But I want to highlight one passage and specifically help you see how it connects into what we're going to talk about and look at today when it comes to ministry. So 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. I want to look at verses 7 through uh, 11, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who serves, or one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and in the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter covers a few things, and we're going to spend some time on the last one, but just to cover quickly what he covers. The first thing Peter talks about, verse 7, he says to be sober-minded and alert. You can see it in verse 7 again. The end of all things is near. Be alert and of sober mind. This is a phrase that he'll use repeatedly if you look over next over in just uh, chapter 5. He uses it in a passage that probably mo- most are familiar with, talking about the devil. In, verse, in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour, for someone to devour. When Peter says to be alert and of sober mind, he's talking about this clear-mindedness. That so many times individuals go through life with such a passive mindset and passive uh, behavior towards things in life. Just whatever happens, happens. And what Peter says is for a follower of Jesus Christ to prepare themselves for end times, for being able to live a Christian life that is effective throughout life, not to just go with the flow, go with the culture, go with the times, go with the trends. He says that they have to be sober-minded. They have to be alert. They have to be clear-minded. They can't allow their mind to be clouded with the culture, the things of this world, the value systems of this world. They have to make sure that their mind is continually being renewed. Their mindset is continually being renewed in the things of God and his word um, and uh, being in gatherings like this, allowing their perspectives to be challenged by the perspective of God's word, the truth of God's word. So he says, first, 
you have to be clear-minded and sober-minded. And he specifically says that we're clear-minded so that, if you look in verse 7 again, not so much for how we live, but focused on our commitment to prayer. Verse 7, the end of all, of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So first, he talks about being sober-minded and alert. Secondly, he talks about a commitment to prayer and that there's a commitment to prayer. Um, that so often, and I think I've shared this quote on Wednesday nights, we gather in here Wednesday nights every week for a time of prayer. And I really believe that what God is doing in our church, in our community, uh, through the ministries here is connected directly to the, to the time that we invest as a church in prayer. That we will never be more powerful than our commitment to prayer, to calling out to God and dependence on him. And a quote that my wife shared with me by Jim Cimbala, a pastor in Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York, and I, I won't get the quote exactly, but he says something like this. He says, the devil doesn't like it when God's people get together and study God's word, but he'll tolerate it. He says, the devil doesn't like it when God's people get together and begin to worship Jesus. He doesn't like it, but he'll tolerate it. But the, real, the enemy really doesn't like it when God's people begin to gather together and begin to pray. And if you look at the pattern in Scripture, that when God's people begin to pray, the Spirit of God begins to move powerfully through people, powerfully through gatherings, in such ways that it transforms their community. And so Peter says, you need to be sober-minded and clear and alert and recognize that as a follower of Jesus Christ in this day, in this age, one of the things that you need to be committed to above all else in your schedule and in your time and in your calendar is consistent time in God's presence. That as we have consistent time in God's presence, he's renewing our mindset, he's renewing our perspective, he's shaping our lives. The third thing that, that Peter points out is found in verse 8. He says, to live with a fervent love. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, to translate it more accurately, he says to love fervently. And the word that he uses is not just this, this passive, well, you know, I love you, yeah, I love you too. But rather, the word he uses to talk about love is that the word fervent, it speaks of, the, it's an athletic term. And the athletic term that he's using would be describing much like a runner who's running in the last leg of a race and they're neck and neck with the person next to them. And so they're going to put everything into trying to get something of them across the finish line before the next to invest everything into that. And that's what Peter says. He says, as a follower of Jesus, our lives are to live with this fervent, all-in, passionate love for others. And look how he says it's demonstrated in verse, in verse 9. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So the fourth thing that he says, and this is where we'll spend most of our time on today, is to live to serve others. He says, offer hospitality without grumbling. When you and I, in today's church culture, we hear of hospitality, we think about, well, holding the door open for someone who maybe is right behind us, or uh, we think about helping someone get a donut in the lobby or a hot cup of coffee, or we think of, boy, sliding over so someone doesn't have to climb over me. And those are the things that we think about with hospitality. But we can't forget, in that Peter's day when he's writing this, that Church structures did not begin to emerge on the scene in Christianity until at least 200 years after Christ. And so when Paul is talking about, or Peter rather, is talking about hospitality, he's not talking about sliding over so someone else can sit there, not talking about holding the door. What he's talking about and he's addressing are believers who are living in persecution. And so because persecution would come to the community, Christians would begin to suffer, even die for their faith, many times Christians were having to flee their areas and, and many times at night and having to leave quickly. And so they would flee and they would arrive into another community with nothing but, but the clothes they were wearing, 
perhaps a few quick belongings they had gathered. And so they would arrive there, and for them to be able to have any type of, of stepping forward as a family, other believers would need to open their homes and be hospitable and invite them in and really treat them as family. And so what Peter is saying, he's saying, offer hospitality, so outward action, but he said, make sure your inward motive is, is correct. He says, do it without grumbling. And so it's this, this willingness to be all in and completely invested in the lives of others, invested in the advancement of the faith in the lives of others, and being committed to that. And it's out of that that I want to spend a few, to- a few minutes this morning looking at and, and understanding this, this all-in investment that, that we're all called to have and to be a part of, that it's not limited to just a few of us, but rather it's an all-in investment for us. And in that, I want to look at specifically verse 10. Look at verse 10 one more time, and if you could put that on screen for me. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That you should use whatever gift you've received. So four things quickly that I see just out of verse 10 that I want to share with you, and then I want to give you three ways to apply it, and then we're going to go to the tables and find ways to apply it. The first thing in verse 10, he says, everyone has a gift. Look at verse 10 once again. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received. He doesn't say, can you put verse 10 up one more time? He doesn't say some of you should use whatever gift you've received. He says each of you should use whatever gift you've received. That we look at this and what he's talking about in verse 10 is that that we all have something to offer. You and I, we all have a gift to offer when it comes to as a follower of Jesus Christ. So often in, in church ministry that our mindset when we, when we come into a place or we come into a ministry and we come into a gathering of where we're at, our, our mindset as we look at church and we, we can easily see all of the visible gifts that are functioning. We can see uh, this morning we have been blessed and especially the last two weeks, uh, we're always blessed with our worship, but we're having so many individuals that God is entrusting to us getting involved in worship that the Pastor Melvin's begin to create different teams to help lead and be a part of this. But, but we can see all of these visible gifts taking place. Uh, you can step into a classroom and get your, your child and pick up your child or step on Wednesday nights into youth and pick up your youth and you'll see all of these leaders and people doing things. And this morning in the cafe or at the welcome center at the doors or ushers, we can see all of these visible things taking place and it's very easy to immediately think that everything is already filled that all of the needs are already filled, that all of the needs are already met. And so we, we look at that and we, we really take verse 10. says, each of you should use whatever gift. And we just realize, well, that must not apply to me because things are already happening. Things are already going. Or many times we, we look at what we do and don't have. We look at our strengths and our weaknesses. We compare it to what we visibly see. And we just think that they don't need me. They don't need me around. But what, what Peter says is that everyone has a gift to offer. I'm reminded of a, an old movie that probably plays once, probably once a year in our house or so, on his Father of the Bride. Has anybody ever seen Father of the Bride, Steve Martin? In, this, in the, the movie, Steve Martin and his wife, their, their first daughter, she's getting married, and she's, uh, her fiancé's coming in, and it's just kind of Steve Martin, just comical and all sorts of things. But there's a part where Steve Martin has a gift for his daughter, and if I remember right, it's like some, a pair of sneakers for her wedding, but they're done up for, to match her, her dress. And so he's got this gift, and he's all excited to, to give it to her. And so he's got it there, and he's holding it. It's something he had spent time on and personally just made sure it was right for her, the right fit, the right size. And then she pulls up with her fiancé, and her fiancé comes from a very wealthy family. And she pulls up, and if you've seen the, the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. She pulls up in this fancy new convertible. 
And they're, they're sitting in the car, they're driving. She comes running in, squealing to dad. Dad, look what, can you believe what uh, his parents gave us? And so excited about this brand new gift. And, and he's all excited about the gift. And he had told her over the phone he had this gift for her. And so he kind of just takes the gift and sheepishly just puts it behind his back, puts it off to the side or something. And he's all like, you can see the, the disappointment in his eyes about his gift now being so small, but looking at the significance of the gift that she just pulled up in. And, and he, so he just tucks it away, and then later she comes to him, and she gets it, and she uh, is ex- expresses appreciation for it. But so many times, you and I can be like that, is that we can have this little gift that we feel is so small, but it's, it's personal, it's customized, it fits just you, and then someone else can pull in in the nice red convertible uh, or whatever the other gifting is that they might walk into and with, and we can look at that, and we can think, wow, look at that. How am I possibly going to match that. And so we just sheepishly put our gifting away. But what Peter says, what God's word says, he says, everyone has a gift. That means you have a gift, that you have something in you that God wants to utilize and wants to use. And when we withdraw from offering our gift, however big or small we may feel like it might be, we're really cutting short of something the Holy Spirit wants to offer through you in this congregation. And the ministry's here. It's realizing that everyone has a gift. I want you to see a passage. This is in Acts 16, uh, verse 7. Paul and his companions are traveling. Uh, they're looking for avenues to share the gospel, avenues to go in this missionary journey. And, and it says they, they, reached, they reached a place where there was resistance. There was something holding them back. There was really divine intervention keeping them from going and ultimately became an avenue that opened a whole new doorway of ministry and and through a dream that Paul had. But look at this says. It says, when they came to the border of Mysia and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And if you look on in the story, you see that they keep trying, they keep trying, eventually get the, the dream and they go into a new place. But when I read this and I see how Paul is... Paul and his companions find this resistance, and instead of just stopping thinking, well, I guess we just don't have anything to offer, but they keep looking for ways to serve until the way became available. And my point is they lived with that mindset that we have something to offer. We just need to recognize the place and the timing that God's leading us to offer it. But so often we hit that immediate resistance or we, we compare ourselves to someone else and then we don't go any further. What Paul exemplified is that everyone has a gift and we all should look and eagerly be ready to offer it. Secondly, verse 10 again, not only does everyone have a gift, everyone is expected to use their gift. Verse 10, once again, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. It says each of you should use. It says it should use, that everyone is expected to use their gift. When you look in, in the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples are filled, and then it doesn't say they begin to sit around and wait and wonder, what's next? They immediately recognized they, they had a gift, and they needed to take it outside the walls. And they immediately looked for ways to engage, recognizing they had something that they needed to offer to others. One of our core values here, you'll see them hanging in the lobby, you'll see them hanging in the hallways. I'll say it often, they're not just fancy posters to fill empty walls. But they're core values and they're expressing really what we really truly believe and stand by. And you, you'll hear about this in the Moving Forward class. Because I believe it was covered this last Wednesday. And if you missed it, we're going to be offering the classes again in just uh, in, in a month. We're going to every other month be offering the Moving Forward classes, encouraging you to become a part of those. But one of our core values is that every, everyone has something to offer. 
Everyone has something to offer. That we believe that every single person has a gift to offer, has something to offer, and that really everyone is expected to offer something. That it's not just this elite few or a select few that's supposed to be doing the bulk of the ministry, but everyone is expected to offer something. That you have a gift, and so we're expecting and desiring for you to offer it in time and talent and investment and energy, allowing God to use you and your gifts uh, in advancing his kingdom. There's a story in, in the Gospels that probably most are familiar with. We've looked at it in a number of different times. But, and you, you'll find it in a couple of the different Gospels. And some describe it as a, the, the, uh, the story of the parable of the talents. And it's the parable that Jesus tells of an, a wealthy landowner, a master calling his servants and coming and standing, standing before him. Some variations are three people. Some have, in the one in, in Luke has 10 people coming and standing before the master. Some have giving different amounts of money. Another one has the same amounts. And they're both showing that everyone has something to offer. Everyone has, has the ability to offer something. And if you're familiar with the story in Luke chapter 19, the story goes that the wealthy landowner calls 10 of his servants in and has them stand in front of him, and he gives them each one minus. Now, there's debate over how much a minus is, but, it, but really, if you look at it, uh, the summary, while the exact sum may not be completely known, it really is equivalent to about, uh, to about three months' wages. So it's a significant amount of money. And this master calls 10 of his servants and gives them all the money and expects them all to do something. And if you're familiar with the story, at the very end of it, one of the servants comes and he says, I was afraid of you. I was afraid of, of blowing it, of messing up. So I took what you'd given me and I tucked it away. Here's what, I had, here's what you'd given me right back exactly as you put it in my hands. And we can focus on that. But look what the, the landowner the, tells his servants in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, he tells them this. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Uh, some translations, and, and probably a little more literal, it says to engage in business. He says, engage in business until I come back. Engage in business that advances my interests until I come back. And the point is that every single servant of those 10, we only see the accounting of three, but every single one of those servants was expected and required to be engaged in business until the master returned. And so it's a reminder to you and it's a reminder to me that everyone is expected to use their gift. That God's design in your life is not, that you, it's not for your life to be a dead end to his grace. It's not that your life is a dead end to, to whatever's happening, but rather what he's doing in you is not only doing his work in you, but then flowing through you and investing and changing and challenging the lives of others. Third thing. Back to verse 10. So first, when everyone has a gift. Second, when everyone is expected to use their gift. Third thing, all gifts are supernatural in origin. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That all gifts are supernatural in origin. If you, it, it's recognizing that God has created you like you, and he desires to use you with the work of his Holy Spirit flowing through you. And sometimes we can, we can hear that. We can hear, that, well, all gifts are supernatural in origin. And so you and I can, can think about, well, the gifts of prophecy, uh, the gift of tongues. We can give, think of all these different gifts, the gifts of healing. And that's not what I'm, I'm trying to identify or say. Those are, those are very important, and those are supernatural in origin. But so is your, your, the gift of serving, the gift of the other, the other things and avenues and ways that you find to serve in this building. Look in verse 11. He says, if anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. So speaking can feel very natural, 
But he says, recognize that God is at work through the gifting of what he's put in you. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That serving, it can feel incredibly natural. Handing a cup of coffee in the lobby can feel incredibly natural. Working with kids can feel incredibly natural. But he says that there is there's a gifting and a working of the Holy Spirit that he wants to do through you in the midst of your availability and taking your availability and using it. And the fourth thing in verse, verse 10 once again, God's gifts are as varied as the people he places them in. His gifts are as varied, they're, they're as different as the people he places them in. In verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That he works in various ways. He works in various ways, and that means that you don't have to look like somebody. You don't have to do it the way someone else does it. But he wants to use you. The thing about ministry and the thing about what you offer is that only you can offer you. You're the only person that can offer what you bring. I can't offer what you bring. Others can't offer what you bring. And God says that he has taken his grace and in various forms has put it throughout his body. That means you as a congregation, individuals, that you have giftings in you that God wants to use. And so just to help you take these these things, talking about recognizing the giftings that God has placed in us and his desire to use us, his desire to use you in all sorts of different ways in ministries, three quick ways just to apply them and then we'll end with a fourth by by going to to each of the tables. The first one is to recognize that you have something to offer. Recognize that you do, in fact, have something to offer. More times than not, uh, I'll find two barriers that keep people from getting involved and saying yes to serving in some capacity. One is time, uh, that there's just not time for it. They're they're committed to so many different uh, places, different things, getting kids from this program to that program, uh, being a part of this, just all of the things that demand our time. And and something that we've probably all heard before is that we, says we, we, um, we, we make time for what we value. And so it's really recognizing that, that you do have something to offer. And so I think that the barrier of time is a, is a big one. But the second barrier that I think probably takes more people out of ministry than anything else is that of insignificance. That so many people live with a mindset of insignificance that they feel like there's nothing of value that you really can offer, that there's always someone who can do something better than you or that the things that are behind the scenes aren't really as important or the right fit for us. And so we live and operate from a mindset of of insignificance in so many ways. That's one of the things we're going to look at with David uh, in overcoming his past, with King David, overcoming his past, is that he had to find his voice. He had to recognize that, that he brought value, that while everyone else looked and saw him as being insignificant, that he brought value. But it's realizing that just because you, you feel like you're insignificant does not necessarily mean it's true. That we just allow that mindset to become so much a part of us that we devalue what God has put in us. And so I brought a little example. So I brought a little bitty bolt. Probably most of you can't even see it from where you're at. And uh, this is a bolt, and this bolt is just about the same size, not quite as fat. It could be a little bit fatter, but not quite as fat as an incredibly important part of your vehicle. There's a part on your vehicle that looks just like this that most of you probably have never seen. You don't drive down the street thinking about it. You don't, you don't you go on long road trips hope, hoping, well, I hope that bolt stays in place. But in your vehicle, on the bottom of your vehicle, you have an oil pan, And in your oil pan, you have a small bolt just like this that's stuck in the drain plug. 
has a little seal around it, and just a few cranks, it goes in, a few cranks, it comes out, but it makes all the difference in the world in your vehicle. This bolt might cost you 4 to $10, depending where you buy it from, depending what brand you buy, and you'll never even go through life thinking about it. You'll never drive down the road thinking about it, but if there's ever a day that your mechanic or you forget to put your oil, your drain, your oil, uh, the plug into your oil pan, midway somewhere down the road, you'll discover that they forgot, and it'll cost you seven, or several thousand dollars to get it fixed. Because this little bolt, though you'll never see it function, you'll never hear it function, you'll probably spend most of your life never even thinking about it. Some of you may have just realized, leaned to your, someone next to you like, well, I didn't know I had that on my car. Um, that you'll never ever know about this until it's not doing its job. And so for so many of us, we go through life and, and we look at ourselves like, I'm just, I'm just a bolt, I'm not that important. How, how much do I really matter to the big scheme of things of all that's happening here? But to realize that there's so many parts of ministry, so many things of who we are and what we do that we don't ever even think about. But to realize that while it may seem small, it's never insignificant. In God's kingdom and in God's economy, small is never insignificant. It's never insignificant. And so while you're here this morning, sitting here, and if you have little ones, does anybody have kids in the kids' ministry? I think that's one of the big ministries taking place right now. Some of you, several of you have kids in the kids' ministry. Uh, I see two hands. So we have two kids in the kids' ministry this morning. This is exciting. We, uh, our need is not as great as I thought. <laughs> you're sitting here because someone is taking the time and the investment of their energy and their talents and their giftings, and they're putting them to work. And while they may never see every single parent that comes through here because of the number of parents and individuals, who, the workers who are working there, their availability allows people to sit here. And so while people are sitting here, there might be an individual, maybe here this morning, who you've never been to church, you'd given up on church for years and decades, and then finally you choose to come, and perhaps you bring a little one with you, whether you're a single parent or a couple, you bring your child with you, they're able to sit in there and let you sit here undistracted to be able to hear the gospel, to hear the truth, to be able to worship and to lift up Jesus, all because a small bolt was willing to do its part. It's recognizing that every single one of you, you have a part in some way and in some ministry and, and, and in the investment uh, into others' lives and allowing God to use them and allow him, him to use you. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to take time to find your fit. So first is to recognize that you have something to offer. Secondly, take time to find your fit. And finding your fit starts with being available. I've shared a number of times how much I love basketball, how much I enjoy basketball. I enjoy to play basketball or played basketball. And as much as I could study it and as much as I could read books on it, I found that the best way to learn basketball was to get on the basketball court and do it. I would imagine there's swimmers here, and you can read all sorts of books on swimming. You can learn all sorts of different strokes. You can learn how long to hold your breath. You can practice holding your breath while you're driving. You can do all these things, but the only way you really advance in swimming is actually swimming, doing it. Same with the Christian faith, that we can spend time talking about sharing our faith. We can read all sorts of books about sharing our faith. We can bring in missionaries to hear the importance of investing our lives in missions. But at the end of the day, when it comes to, uh, to learning about sharing your faith, the only way to really grow in it is doing it. 
We can talk about praying. We can learn about praying. We can hold seminars on prayer. I can do series after series on prayer. But at the end of the day, the only way that you really, really grow in praying is doing it. We can talk about giving every single Sunday. I just, the pastors give a little sermonette on why we give, the importance of giving, the value of giving, the value of stewardship. And we can, we can be stuffed up to our eyeballs on all sorts of teaching on stewardship. But at the end of the day, the only way you learn to give is by doing it. When it comes to serving, we can talk about it at different points throughout the service. We can commit a whole service to it. But at the end of the day, the only way you really learn how to do it is to begin to do it. So take time to find your fit. I just encourage you, um, when it comes to these tables, go around and look at the tables. They're there to not just to say, hey, we need, you to, we need your warm body. If you have a pulse and a breath, we'll take you. They're rather to help you find your fit. They're helping you to find your fit and to recognize that, that as you become available, and you extend yourself and make yourself available to serve into a ministry, you begin to look at that and talk about it and explore it with the leadership. And as you're doing it, you might find that that ministry is not the specific fit for you, but it awakens something in you that connects with another ministry, then we want to help you find your fit in that. Our goal is not just to fill the slots, it's to recognize that God has placed giftings in every single person here, and he wants to use those uh, through your life, through the ministries here. In the Moving Forward class this week, this Wednesday, even if you missed the first one, come this week because there's specifically, Pastor David's going to be teaching it, talking about um, really gifting assessment, looking at some of the giftings and the talents that God's placed in us, and really another opportunity to find ways to connect and to serve. But I really believe that, that God best finds, helps us find our giftings when we're available. So be actively available. Be actively available, constantly looking for, for things to do. Not to be sitting back thinking, well, God just put on my heart what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. God just put on my heart what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. Rather, like Paul that we looked at in Acts 16, he was actively available, actively searching. And as he did that, God put the opportunities in front of him. And then the last thing I would encourage you when it comes to uh, recognizing that we all have something to offer in God's desire and design is to use your life, is to make room for the Holy Spirit to work. Make room for the Holy Spirit to work. If everything that you and I do when it comes to ministry and taking Peter's words and putting them into action, if everything we do is completely explainable in the natural, then do we really need the Holy Spirit at all? So look for ways that he might want to use you in the ministries and avenues that you're serving. Uh, there's a verse in Acts chapter 19 that is used to describe uh, Paul, and as he's just, God's just working through him. And it says, God did not ordinary, he did extraordinary miracles through Paul. That God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And what we see as you look at the life of Paul is that he goes and he, he really extends himself into places that the only real solution and answer is for God to come through. That he's not living necessarily reckless, but he's living by this adventurous faith of saying, God, I'm going to say yes. You're going to have to prove that it's no. That we live from a default mindset of no. God, prove to me that it's yes. But he invites us to say, God, I'm going to say it's yes. You prove to me that it's no. And as we take those steps and we move to be actively involved, make room for the Holy Spirit to work. Look for ways that he can best work through you. I really believe that God works the best and works the greatest through individuals that are living right on that edge of being well in over their heads. And, and I'm not talking about being uh, 
being careless with your time. I'm not talking about going around to every single table and signing up for every single thing. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about being willing to stretch yourself and watch for God to fill in the gaps. So when we talk about ministry, and that's a, there's a phrases we use in church life, there's phrases we use in gatherings like this that we can use it so often that we, our mind immediately goes to things. And so when you hear me talk about ministry and ministry needs and getting involved in serving, when you hear me say ministry, you might think, well, this list of here, we need someone here, we need someone here, we need someone here, we need someone here. You might think of all that. And, and that's not necessarily the case. We do need people. Uh, the kids' ministry, I'll just highlight, has been growing on Wednesday nights. The, two of the classes, dealt, we had to split them into two more classes because of so many kids and people coming and getting involved. But look for ways that God, God wants to use you, and that's going to involve him stretching you. When it comes to ministry, when we use the word ministry, realize that it's not just you filling a slot or serving in a place. Ministry is offering his presence through your life, and that just happens to be the avenue you're working through. That's ministry. Ministry is offering his presence into the lives of others, and it's going to happen in a number of different variety of, of avenues. It's going to happen that as you carry a Thanksgiving care package, uh, later we're, as you sign up to help deliver those, right now we're signing up to help build them, assemble them, get supplies. Come think, the week of Thanksgiving, as you come to deliver those packages, it's not just, well, the ministry need is someone needed to drive this box over to this address and, not, and give, put it in their hands and say, hey, have a happy Thanksgiving and go on. That's filling a slot. Ministry is walking up to the doorway, praying over the, the box, praying over God. Give me, help me to discern. Could you perhaps open the door for me to share you with this person? Ministry begins by saying, can, can I pray with you? Is there any, I'm giving you this box because we care about your practical needs, but I care about your spiritual needs. Can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for? It's recognizing that as we serve in youth and in kids and in all of these different avenues, that it's not just filling slots, but it's ministry. I, I said on Wednesday night a few weeks ago, maybe like two weeks ago, from time to time I'll hear individuals talk about, well, I'm going to come to Wednesday night and I want to be a part of this class. Or I want to offer this because there's free childcare on Wednesday nights because there's kids things happening. And I, and I tell them, I said, we don't offer free child care. We don't have free child care. And it's not that you have to pay. We just don't have free child care. We, free child care is you have an adult sitting in a room keeping kids from killing themselves. That's free child care. What we do is we offer ministry for the development of our children. And so kids aren't just sitting in classrooms with, parent, with adults separating them, keeping them on different sides of the room. We have people who are invested in teaching your children how to love Jesus and serve Jesus and follow Jesus starting at a young age. And so we have that across the board because we value the investment and the window that we have in the lives of every single life that comes here. And so when you serve, whether it be, and I've, I've mentioned kids a lot, but there's a lot of ministry needs, a lot of places that we could use you. When you're standing at the door and you're welcoming people and you're handing a bulletin or you're standing at the welcome center, you're serving the cafe, be actively not just smiling, shaking hands and making people feel good, but be actively praying, be actively alert to how God may use you as a ministry tool in the lives of those that he's entrusting to us each and every Sunday. And so recognize that you have something valuable to offer, and only you can offer it. And God wants to use you in incredible ways through our church, in our community, so that in every place and in every way that Jesus is lifted up. So why don't you stand with me this morning? I want to conclude, and most often we will conclude with, I'll give you a chance to respond, to come to the front. 
uh, and prayer and response out of that. But instead, today, I want to do something very different. In fact, while we're standing, for those who are working at the different ministry sites and the tables, you feel free to slip to the back, get to those tables and be ready. Um, and in just a second, I just want to pray and dismiss those who need to go. But those who need to go to your tables, please feel free to go to those tables and be ready to receive individuals. And then let me encourage you, as I dismiss, don't use it as a chance to, we're, we're running ahead of time. Don't use it as a chance to get in line first at the restaurant. Don't use it as a chance to go and talk to the person across the room you don't get to. Use it as a chance, as an invitation that God is looking to use your life in ways to lift him up through our church and in our community. So I just want to pray, and then I want to dismiss you to go to the tables. So Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you for the gift of your spirit in our lives. I thank you for the gift of uh, your spirit wanting to work through us. That it's not just a, a self-centered lifestyle that you're calling us to lead, but rather you're calling us to live a life that's outwardly focused, really focused upon Jesus, so that you can be seen through us. And so God, I pray that even now as individuals take time to go to these tables and to walk around the room and to find ways to get engaged. God, my prayer, our prayer specifically, is that you would guide us, that we, in our saying yes, that you would open up new avenues, new opportunities within us. God, to be able to grow, to be stretched, to be used by you. So I thank you for each one that's here. I give them to you, and I pray that you would take the gifts of us, the gift of our life, the gift of our time and our talents, and that you would spend them in a way that advances your kingdom. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dear ones, we love you. Be blessed as you go. Please be sure to go one of the tables, find places to serve, and ways to get involved.